As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 144 of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. What's going on? How much? How are you? I'm good. Recording this on a Friday. Been listening to music all morning. Yeah. I've been listening to Kesha all morning. We talked about this before I recorded. I'm very into Kesha. Okay. It's a great new album. <laughs> That's the okay was the only thoughts you had before, too. That's fine. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm good. It's Friday. I'm excited. By the time people listen to this, it won't be Friday. It will not be. I will be. It'll it's be like, Monday. It's like time travel. I'll be a little excited, but that's okay. Um, today is an interview with Brandy Colbert. I'm having really weird deja vu. I feel like we started doing this intro before or something because Brandy has a new book out called Little and Lion, and I interviewed her when we were at ALA. I believe that is correct. Together, but you were doing something else. I did this one by yeah. myself, and she and I talked about how. Her last name is pronounced Colbert, not Colbert. And she joked that Stephen Colbert ruined that for every Colbert out there. And this is what I'm having deja vu because I feel like we had this conversation before. We did. But I can't remember if it was recorded or not. Oh, that I don't remember. Yeah, I can't remember at all. And I feel We definitely like, had this conversation with her yeah. last name. I don't remember the context of it, though. You know what? I put this in. Was it on your list? Yeah, this was in, so Brandy's book, Little Online, was in our biggest releases of August, and that's when we had this that's conversation. That's probably what it was. Uh, everyone who's listening is probably like, <laughs> yeah, you did already tell us this part. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> Little Online is about a family living in California, and there's a whole bunch of diversity, a whole bunch. Uh, the main character is African-American and bisexual and Jewish, and she goes away to boarding school for a year because her brother is suffering some uh, mental illnesses that they think he might improve if she, she's gone for a while and his life is more simplified and uh, she comes back and just the whole story is awesome. I, it's so good. It's got a lot of buzz the past couple of days when it came out. Um, everyone should read this book. It's YA. It will take you like a weekend. Dive into it. It's great. Sounds good. Yeah. I I could feel myself gushing about this every time I talk about it. It's so fantastic. So I highly recommend it. Um, and Brandy's a lot of fun. So we had we had some good chats there. Uh, if people want to get a hold of us, how can they do that? They can find us on Twitter at ProBookNerds. And they can email us at ProfessionalBookNerds at Overdrive.com. Yes. Um, also, if you missed our last episode, go back and listen to that. That was Jill in a room by herself with a microphone. It was so good. Talking about my favorite fantasy novels. Not, I feel like, or the libraries and favorite fantasy novels. 
I feel like there was one I forgot. Like, I was thinking about it later, and I was like, oh, I can't believe I forgot that, and now I forgot it again. So that's really helpful. You were You're so, welcome, everybody. You were so excited <laughs> about this episode that not only did you, like, send me a message like, hey, here's the thing I want to do. I was like, yeah, absolutely. And then I asked you after you recorded, I was like, do we need an intro? And you're like, nope. And then, like, you flat out wouldn't let me hear it until it came out. So I got to hear it first time just like everyone else did. It was great. I loved it. It was so much fun. And you had music at the beginning. I did. I had a little fun with this one. So, uh, yeah, if you guys missed that, go back and listen to it for sure. But um, other than that, that that's that's last episode. This episode is Brandy Colbert, author of Little and Lion. And check it out after you listen to this episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Hi everyone, this is Adam from Team Overdrive, and today I'm joined by Brandi Colbert, an author known, best known for her debut novel, Point, which won the Sybils Award? Yes, that's what I thought, (laughs) Sybils Award for YA Fiction, and was named the best book of 2014 by Publishers Weekly, Book Riot, and BuzzFeed. You can find her work in several anthologies, including Summer Days and Summer Nights, and here we are, Feminism in the Real World. Her latest novel, Little and Lion, is now available. So, Brandy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So, can you get us started by just giving us a brief intro to Little and Lion for people who might not know about the book? Sure. Um, it is basically, well, Little and Lion is a brother and sister team, mm-hmm. um, and Little is the main character, Suzette. Um, at the top of the novel, she comes back from boarding school where she has been sent um, after Lion, who is Lionel, her brother. Um, he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Um, so, and then also she's, uh, there's a little bit of romance. Um, mm-hmm. She's kind of discovering her sexuality or questioning it a little bit. Um, so it's sort of a story about, um, the romance is not, it's the sibling relationship that I think is at the heart of it. Yeah. Um, so it's about loyalty and identity and sort of trust. Mm-hmm. And so the, you do something in this, which I, I'm a big fan of diversity in books, and you, and this is overflowing with diversity. It's wonderful. <laughs> you have you have diversity in race and sexuality and cultural background, and then with, with you know, Lionel having a, a mental illness. But you do it, I guess, matter-of-factly would be the way that I would describe it. Like, you introduce there's bisexual and gay couples in the story, and it seems to be, at least in the beginning, it's very accepted in their community, which I loved. It wasn't like, no one made a big hairy deal about it when they saw a lesbian couple in there. And so it struck me because I'm wondering, was that a type of community that you grew up in? Was it that forward-thinking? Because I know that that we're not always that fortunate in Right, society. no, I mean, absolutely not. It's probably complete opposite of where I grew, <laughs> I grew up in um, southwest Missouri, and I grew up in the 80s, and I was a teenager in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, no, there's no diversity there. Uh-huh. It was a very white community. Um, I don't even remember really meeting anyone who identified as gay or lesbian until I was a teenager, and even then it was, like, you know, not something to be proud of uh-huh. there, um, sadly. Um, and then I moved to Los Angeles after college, and so Los Angeles, to me, is sort of like this utopia. Like, you can just be who you want to be. Mm-hmm. Do you think that, um, and I, because I, I've been to Los Angeles, but not as a teenager in high school, obviously, so right. it, does it does the community feel that it's a little bit more accepting, especially at that age? Because you're like, now that, you know, I'm in my early 30s, I, right. I have so many gay friends, and like it just doesn't... I don't think about it at all, but right. I just love the idea of in this book them being accepting in high school. So do you think it's that way in LA when they're that age as well? I think so. You know, I don't 
get to spend a lot. It's funny, I write for teens, but uh-huh. I don't get to spend like a ton of time <laughs> with teenagers. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, just from what I observed, just being out in the city, um, it just seems like they're very free to mm-hmm. be who they want to be. And it seems like there's less... Um, less focus on I mean there is the focus on identity of course with that generation yeah. uh, but it's like a positive focus mm-hmm. um, it's very much like tell us who you are like we need we want labels for everything but we want to like accept you for those labels yeah and something that I, I like that you, you did in this novel and in your first one the point as well is we're talking about teens trying to discover themselves mm-hmm. and teens go through such massive emotions that it, it makes it a genre that I think all people can relate to because we were all teenagers as right. well. So what is it to you about YA titles and, and books in general that make them relatable for everybody? Um, yeah, I think it, right, it is so we were all teenagers and we all remember that feeling of uh, sort of going through everything for the first time. Right. Everything's really confusing. Um, I, I love writing about that time period because it is so fresh and you get to go back and sort of experience like, oh, what was it like to like fall in love for the first time or like have my first serious crush, first kiss or, you know, yeah. like all of that stuff. I think it's so interesting and like just sort of energizing to like oh, yeah. go back because you get to a certain age and it's like, is there ever going to be anything I do for the first time uh-huh. again? And so I think it's kind of like nice to go back and relive. Yeah. I, you, like you, you mentioned going through those emotions for the first time and it, it does, it feels like as a teenager, you feel so much like there's just so much you feel yes and you don't know how to react to them and then I remember I have older siblings who would tell me like it's gonna be all right you're gonna be fine but you assume the world is ending right you just feel like like you're just gonna die (laughs) this thing doesn't work out (laughs) um something else that you do with your books and again they're they're YA but you you touch on some really heavy subjects which Mm -hmm. I love so again with little mind sexuality and and you know mental illnesses and with point it was abduction which is not right. a small thing either <laughs> I love when YA books have serious subject matter mm-hmm. like that I, I think it's important for young readers to be reading about those types of things right. so how do you choose which topics you want to put in these stories right it's funny I always say that I write sort of issue books that are not issue books because mm-hmm. issue books have like this negative connotation um, like they're there to teach a lesson and to me that's not it but I do write books that generally deal with like heavy topics yeah. and issues um, I, I, sorry I just lost the oh, question oh no you're fine Jeez. I was just curious as to <laughs> how you went into like how, how do you I decide, decide which subjects you. you would like um, yeah. so I think my books are more character driven for sure because mm-hmm. the plots are just sort of like I remember reading a review of Little in Lion and it was like I mean there's not much of a plot if, so if you're into that like maybe this isn't oh. for you and I was like well, I mean, it's light, but uh-huh. it's there. There has to be something to move the story forward. But yeah, it starts with a character for me. Um, so with Little and Lion particularly, I always had in my mind this brother-sister-sibling uh, relationship. Mm-hmm. I have four brothers, but I'm not like particularly close to any of them because uh-huh. we're so far apart in age. Sure. Um, so for me, I was like, okay, I started with these two characters. What happens if like they're really close? What happens if something like kind of tears them apart? Mm-hmm. Uh, what could that be? Um, someone's going through something. It's a mental illness. What? And then I look at like what mental illness do I not really understand because I don't know anybody with that and I haven't seen enough like portrayals, Mm -hmm. different portrayals. Um, And so it's like, okay, bipolar disorder and then just went from there and I read a bunch of memoirs and did a lot of research. Okay, that that was going to be my question was how did you, what was your research process for discovering these types of things, especially with the bipolar? I'm curious, Mm -hmm. were were there other parts in the story as well that you also were doing research on, like the the Jewish background and things like that? Definitely. Yeah, um, so I wrote pretty much outside of my experience for everything, um, outside of the ethnicity. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, 
right with Judaism I did a lot of research it's a very specific Jewish family though to me it's um, a lot of like what I see in LA and mm -hmm. a lot of my friends they're like reformed um, Jewish people so they sort of like they might celebrate some of the holidays yeah. but it's not like a strict like we go to the synagogue uh -huh. um, all the time um, so that was research and then um, portraying the LGBT community I, I definitely wanted to get that right it wasn't research mm -hmm. for me it was more and I always go come from a place of wanting to just depict my characters as human, just treat them with respect as you would like real people. Um, so I think when people are writing outside of their experience, that's the most important thing uh -huh. to think about. Um, so just how would I feel if I had this marginalization on top of like you know uh -huh. what I already deal with as a black woman is sort of where I went with that. Um, and then of course getting readers to vet it from all those different uh -huh. communities. Yeah, yeah. I, I will say so. My father's side of our family is Jewish, but like mm -hmm. very, very much in the same way, like non-practicing, like. We'll eat challah bread, but right. that's kind of where we draw the line. Like, yeah. We'll make potato latkes in the, you know, during Passover, but that's about as far as we go. So I was thinking, right. I was like, I can totally relate to this family. Yeah, good. I know. I wanted it. It's very specific. But. Yeah. Um, something else uh, that you do, I, like I said, I, I love diversity in YA, and I think that's incredible, and you do a wonderful job with that here. But you don't just have diverse characters. Little Suzette. Right. She talks about what it means to be African-American Jewish. Like, I, I love the fact that she kind of unpacks all of that for the reader because I think that's that's much more rare. I think we're doing better as a in the book world with diversity. Right. But it's still so rare to hear a character say, you know, I'm not defined by my cultural background or my, you know, heritage, but here's what it means for me right. to be that character. So what went into you wanting to have her explain these experiences. Yeah, uh, for me it's because I had no books when I was younger that um, really had black characters that were in contemporary right. realistic settings. It was usually the character was enslaved or civil rights movement, mm -hmm. or, you know, which is great. We need all of those books. But I wanted characters who were going through same things that I was going through and also to see myself on the page because I wasn't seeing myself in my community uh -huh. in southwest Missouri. Um, I don't know, I think it's just important to kind of just state those things because if some people aren't familiar with these different communities and they're not hearing that and they may have only one portrayal that they see on like television or news, yeah. not always the most positive. Uh -huh. um, so I think it's just important to say, this is who I am, this is my perspective, Yeah, you're going to listen to it. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, so when you were growing up and you were saying, because I, I hear this a lot from authors who, they'll, they'll tell me, like, I wrote a story about people like me because I didn't see people like me in the books. Was that kind of what inspired you to want to become a writer or did you kind of always know? Oh, that's interesting. No. Um, so I've been writing since I was a kid. I had those like spiral bound notebooks that I would write <laughs> yeah. like my own books and they were just all like ripoffs of like, you know, Sweet Valley <laughs> oh, Twins and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, but no, I, when I was younger, all of my characters were white, which mm -hmm. is interesting. Like they were never, because I wasn't seeing yeah. those other characters uh -huh. myself. Um, and so when I decided to start writing seriously and try to get published, that's pretty much when I really wrote like my first black character mm -hmm. and it was like shocking. It felt so like free, yeah. but also I wondered, is anyone even going to want to read this because of what was being published? So right. it felt like more of a risk actually uh -huh. when I was writing that. Do you think we're in a better place now than when you started writing? Yes. Okay. I think we're in a better place now than when my first book published three years ago. Yeah. Okay, I'm always I'm always curious about that. So, something else. Again, we are we're at a library conference. Right. I work for a library company. <laughs> Lion is a big reader. Yes. Which totally here for. Um, <laughs> what went into the decision to make him a reader? Was it a way to 
kind of justify him withdrawing himself from relationships, or did it just was it just because you're a reader yourself? I guess went went into his right. No, I love that question um, because it does work function that way as well. It like serves as a way. I think after I decided he would be a reader, then I was like, oh okay, then I can set some scenes around it, like in the flashback scene where he's just like uh-huh. avoiding everyone at the dinner table and just has his book in his lap. Right. It's like you can't do that. Like we have company over. Um, no, so it wasn't a conscious choice um, that way, but it does it does work as a function. And I don't know, I guess I was just like, yeah, he's just like a quiet, bookish guy uh-huh. and kind of different from Suzette, where she's like a reader because he was, uh-huh. but she really wasn't like a big yeah. reader on her own. So there are some really specific books that he reads. <laughs> right. Were there reasons for those books? Yeah, I mean, Infinite Jest was sort of like was one of the one hitting you over the head with like, you know, uh-huh. here was like a mentally ill man who, you know, died by suicide. Uh-huh. So that was sort of something where I'm like, wow, okay, so if you're a teen dealing with mental illness and you are sort of having like these suicidal thoughts right. in your head, like, yeah. you know, is it like, is the book kind of how, like, how is that? And they kind of address that in the book. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that one was like definitely purposeful. And then I was just like, he's just a very like diverse reader. So uh-huh. he's got like his bookshelves yeah. uh, sectioned off into like African writers by country. Uh-huh. and then, Which is incredible. Yeah, that. right? Like he's like real. And then like the dead white guys next to yeah. the feminists. So, <laughs> so amazing. Yeah, to me, he's like a very like um, a, a conscious reader, very conscious of what he is reading. And then I think there's even a scene where he's reading Toni Morrison and, mm-hmm. you know, he's reading Sula. So I just wanted to show that, like, not only is it, like, a diverse community, a diverse family, but, like, mm-hmm. I don't, it's, like, instilled in them yeah. to, like, experience other people. Yeah. Toni Morrison actually grew up in the city that I am from. Oh, really? Yeah, that's, like, wow. one of our most... It makes me so happy. Great claim to fame. Yeah, I'm very proud of it. <laughs> so I have to add, just this fascinates me. Have you read all the way through Infinite Jest? I've not even okay. read page Okay, one I haven't either. I was... When I right. saw that he was reading it, I had to ask, so... What is, and this is off topic for your book, but do you have any, like, any specific book that you have as, like, a, like, a checkmark, like, ah, oh, I read this one thing, or even, like, a couple of them that you just felt accomplished when you got done with them? Oh, um, gosh, that's a good question. Um, I sort of felt that way with, well, the autobiography of Malcolm X, not because, you know, it's a fairly slim book, but it was just all of those ideas were so new to me at the time, right. and I was still sort of, like, I read it in my early 20s, and I just sort of moved away from my, like, uh-huh. very white hometown, and was just like, what is this? Who is this guy? Like, yeah. I knew my brother, older brother, was always really mm-hmm. um, fascinated by him, and really, like, uh, liked him, and I, you know, I didn't see the movie or anything, so I read that, and I was like, oh. Yeah. It was like, wow, I just felt like I had sort of, like, uh-huh. an awakening. I, I um... I, I love Russian literature, but I remember the first time I finished Brothers Karamazov, which is just, wow. like, this tome. I finished it, and I was, it's an incredible book, but I just right. remember just being like, I did it. I need to tell everyone. I don't want to tell everyone about the book. I just want to tell them that right. I read this I book. I read it. Those things. Yeah. I know. It, anytime you pick up those, like, 900-page books. Those, like, oh. Yeah, well, A Little Life is probably the longest book I've ever read. I think yeah. it's, like, 700-plus pages, uh-huh. and that one's also very, like... Heroine yeah. in the plot. Like, yeah, I did that it. with um, uh, Pillars of the Earth by Ken Follett. The oh. Same thing. It's like a thousand pages, and I read it in like four days because oh, it was so wow. it's so good. Yeah. But he ha- he has a it's a trilogy, and he has a third one that and somebody sent me the advanced reader copy of it, and it's just like this giant paperweight Brick. sitting on my desk. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to go do it now. Right. Um, so what were some of the books that you read growing up? You talked about how you didn't see yourself represented in them, but what were the right. books that you read when you were growing up? Oh, I read, you know, I was, again, a child of the 80s, so I read so much Judy Bloom. I mean, I would say Judy Bloom was like 
all of her books. Mm-hmm. Uh, Beverly Cleary was yeah. big. Um, then I was really into like Sweet Valley High. Uh-huh. Like I mean, you know, never ending series. And I never mentioned the Babysitters Club, but the Babysitters Club was huge yeah. to me as a kid. Like I had, you know, up until I was like, I'm getting too old for this, but I probably had like 40 or 50 books. Oh you yeah, know? I think. Um, it's weird to, to break it off by, like, boys versus girls, but I think, like, Babysitter's Club, sick girls of that age are the, like, the goosebumps for me. That's for, right. Right? I, I can't, it's so funny, I I work with so many coworkers now who are female who are like, yeah, I read the goosebumps, but I can't think of a single one of my friends who were, who was a girl in, like, middle school that was reading goosebumps for right. me. So every time I sit down with a, like, a female author, I'm like, what were some of the books you read growing up? If they say it's funny, like they'll say Babysitters Club. I've never heard a male author say Babysitters exactly, Club. Exactly. Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard a, a female author say Goosebumps. I'm right. Curious about that. Yeah. Um. So this is kind of a broad question, but with the YA community, I think it's such a great collection of writers. I love seeing people like lift each other up and interact with each other on social media and all sorts Definitely. of stuff. Definitely. So what are you most excited about in the YA community right now? Oh, gosh. I mean, I am really excited about the diversity, the sort of commitment to it. Um, We Need Diverse Books campaign started uh, in 2014, and it started, like, two weeks or something before my first book came Uh out. Um, So it was interesting to sort of see, okay, like, how fast is this going to take shape? And at first, everyone wants to be on board, and they're like, yeah, here are the books I bought, and this Uh and that, but it's like, how long does that last? Yeah. Um, So I was really interested to see, and then you also, like, I pay attention to the book deals to see what's getting getting acquired at the houses. Um, and now, I think just now, three years later, we're starting to see, like, the effects uh-huh. of that movement. So it's interesting. Um, but also, I feel like now I'm looking at the deals, what's being acquired now, and see, not, it, you know, it's yeah. sort of falling off a little bit. Uh-huh. So it's like, um, I'm excited about the diversity. I just want it to continue. Uh-huh. And I don't want it to be so much as a movement. I want it to be natural, uh-huh. to want to acquire different voices. Yeah. So along those lines... For people who are looking for diverse authors mm-hmm. around this, who would you recommend that people read? Oh gosh, I mean, you know, this book, everyone's heard of this book and everyone loves this book in the community, but The Hate You Give by Angie yes. Thomas, just really, it's incredible and uh-huh. it's well worth the hype and I yeah. really, even as a person, you know, I'm, I'm black and, and the characters in the book are primarily black, but mm-hmm. um, it still just opened my eyes to that it wasn't the sort of community that I grew up in, yeah. so I just think it's important for everyone, you uh-huh. know, to read that. Um, Erica L. Sanchez has a book coming out this fall called I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter. Uh-huh. It's got an incredible cover. It just sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, I just picked up an advanced reader copy of that. Nice. So really excited. Um, what else? Uh, Liera Tamani has a book coming out. I think, I believe it's called Calling Your Name. Uh-huh. Probably messed that it's up. Okay. It's coming it's out from HarperCollins um, in October. Um, yeah, I'm just really excited that there's so many um, diverse authors. There's so many... And there's diversity within diversity, so it's right. like, I just named two black authors that are writing very different books, mm-hmm. um, and I write different books than them, so. Yeah. Seeing, again, that I love getting to interact with, especially why authors, because then I'll, you know, start following all you guys on Twitter, and I'll right. watch the interaction, and like, when The Hate You Gave come out, seeing all these other authors be like, go get this book. Right. Um, another example was um, when Dimple met... Oh, wait, yeah, I have that book. Yeah. I can't remember which way it is, but... When Dimple Met Rishi. Yeah. And the, the cover of it is like a Starbucks yes, uh, cup. Yes, so iconic and so already. Every, and I saw so many people, like so many YA authors on Instagram and Twitter doing that exact same it was thing. Great. It so happy. I know. Um, 
so towards the end of our podcast, we have we call them the Nerd Nine. It's just nine oh, nice. rapid fire ish questions. Yeah. They never end up being that way. <laughs> right. um, lighthearted, not that anything else was super heavy. But uh, what's the last book you finished reading? Oh gosh, the last book I finished reading. That is a good question. <laughs> I think it was. Um, I think it was The Sun is Also a Star by Nicola Yoon. Uh-huh. Um, I, I'm always late to read books. I buy them right away and then they sit on my shelf uh-huh. forever. Uh, but I moderated a panel that she was on and, and she's one of my friends. So it was like, it was so wonderful. Uh-huh. It did really well last year. So it was really nice. That's to amazing. That. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite place to read? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I love reading in bed. It mm-hmm. feels, feels so, like, decadent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I struggle reading in bed. I yeah. tell, I text to several people this this weekend. I fall asleep. If I'm in my... My that's bed is point. so comfortable. Right. It's like my favorite place on earth. Right, same. Yeah. I just pass out. I know. Um, <laughs> do you have anything that you would consider a guilty pleasure? Mm, I mean, really, really bad reality TV. Like, I can't believe I'm going on record to say this. I was going to say, I'm going to make you tell me. Oh, which I know. Um, so all my friends know that, but like the Real Housewives franchise, like I cannot <laughs> yes. get it. Like the franchise. Uh-huh. Like I watched probably like four of them. <laughs> like obsessively. Do you have a favorite city? Oh, um, I really love Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And... Um, New York. I think yeah, those yeah. are probably my two favorites. Okay. Yeah. Are you a coffee person or a tea person? Neither, really. really? Yeah, okay. I, I really don't like coffee. I was just saying yesterday, I wish that, like, I, I love coffee culture, uh-huh. so I wish I was. But if I had to choose tea, but I usually just drink water. Okay. Very boring. Um, how about cats or dogs? Cats. Cats? For sure. Wow. It's I was very, I love cats. I know. That's okay. Yeah, no, I, I'm a, so my co-host who is with me is a cat person. I'm a dog right. person. Yeah. It's the only reason we ask this question, because, like, one of us will, like, do a little fist bump, where it's just, like, it's our yes. little turn. We have this, like... And back at our office was like have these little strokes like this is how many people are cat people it's I love it thing. Um, do you have a favorite food ooh um, I mean I'm really into pizza yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay so we're in Chicago right now I, I've been having this debate with people mm-hmm. Chicago or New York South pizza? No, New York all day. Thank you. Yeah. Because Chicago South pizza is not pizza. And you can only eat one piece and yeah. it's like you've had an entire meal. It's like, like I told someone it's like lasagna casserole. <laughs> oh my god, that's the best description. Right? It's so true. Like if you if you ask me do you want a pizza casserole, I'd say yes. Right, but sure. Don't give me this okay. No, I want real pizza. Hold it up. Yeah. I've been on this soapbox all weekend, so I just had to ask. <laughs> yes, I'm on your side. <laughs> um, if you could travel to one place you have not yet been to, mm. where would you go? Gosh, I really immediately Italy came to mind. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, some of my favorite food, and yeah. I just think it's like beautiful to see like all the historic places yeah. and buildings. And, yeah. and then, um, if you could have dinner with one person, alive or dead, who would you go? With? Oh, I feel like I had an answer to this question, and I, I, I always forget it. I always feel like I need to apologize when I ask this one because every everyone looks at me just like, what? Come on, really? I, I know it's yeah. like the hardest question. Gosh. So mine's Jim Henson or Dr. Seuss, oh, which is cheating because I use two. Right, that's great. I know. I'm trying to think. Like, what is what is my favorite? Gosh, I'm sure it would just be like yeah, an, an author like Toni Morrison. But then, like you know, I would just yeah. sit there the whole time and be like, just staring. Yeah, yeah. Somebody told us um, that theirs would be Michelle Obama. There's actually another author, oh. and it was theirs was Michelle Obama. And she's like, I would have to get all my sobbing out first. Exactly. Right. <laughs> it just feels so like improbable. Yeah. It's like wow, that could never happen. Yeah. But, yeah. And then um, when you're not writing and promoting your book, how do you like to kind of spend your free time? Mm, I mean, I like hanging out with friends, of course. Um, of course, bad TV. Uh-huh. Um, occasionally, my friends will get me to go hiking, which uh-huh. I always love, yeah. and I just like have to work myself up to it. Uh-huh. Um, 
Yeah, just sort of getting out of that because I'm a copy editor too. Mm-hmm. So I spend a lot of time alone with words. Yeah. So okay, so that that actually I want to ask about that too. As a copy editor, do you find yourself having to take when you're writing your books? Mm-hmm. Do you have to kind of take yourself away from the editing? process or do you feel yourself yeah. kind of editing in real time? I edit in real time. Yeah, my manuscripts are always very clean, uh-huh. but um, you know, I'm wondering like maybe I should like get away from that a little bit more yeah. or just try to like, but I don't know, I think after a while when you know the rules, uh-huh. they're just sort of in you and yeah. I'm just like writing so, that way. But so, so you have an editor as well for your books though, correct? Right. So how, and I know copy editing and book editing is very different, right. but do you have to find yourself being like, no, no, no. <laughs> I know what you're trying to say. Do you, how does right. that? How's that? I think it's the editing. I can turn it off. Uh, so the content editing is like mm-hmm. great because I'm just like, okay, I'll just take this. I'm not a content editor, but the copy edits are uh-huh. like always a little painful uh, because sometimes you have to push back when it's like, I know this is improper grammar or this is like not correct, yeah. but like it sounds better that way, and uh-huh. I, I'm aware of this mistake that I'm making. Yeah. Are you a Oxford comma person or? Oh, Oxford comma for sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get to talk to copy editors. I know. So yeah. 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 Um, and then from a writing standpoint, do you kind of keep a strict schedule or is it whenever the, yeah, the no. news hits? It's kind of whenever the mood hits. I'm, um, I, mean, I think a lot of writers do this, sort of think about for a while what we're going to write. So I have an idea, a story that I'm working on now. Um, I've written like six pages mm-hmm. and then I just kind of sit with that and then let it form for like a few weeks uh-huh. and then I'll just sit down and write just a bunch of one time. So do you kind of think out, when you say you sit with it, do you kind of think out the whole plot and then... Um, no, because um, I don't outline. If I write anything down in the form of an outline, like that story is just gone for me. Like I just can't <laughs> even, I tried to outline this one. I was like, it's a great idea. I'm going to do this. And I was like, I have no interest in that anymore. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, it's more like um, sort of character motivations and uh-huh. then my plot stems from that. And then I also just generally need a lot of help with plot. <laughs> so Interesting. Okay. And my last question for you is what do you hope readers take away from Little and Lion? Oh, gosh. I think I just like the idea of um, that your family doesn't have to be blood, you know, and um, that loyalty is great, but I don't know, like being honest with yourself about whether it's loyalty or sort of uh, um, I guess if it's just like loyalty versus is that a good idea? Mm-hmm. Like, should I do that? I don't know. Just be honest with yourself about are you making the right decision and just really be able to sort of confront like the truths in yourself. That's <laughs> fantastic. Brandon, thank you so much for joining thank us. You. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from overdrive.com and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.